Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Before I dive in, I just want to start today by stating some things that I believe. If I were to ask you what you believe, you might, you know, what comes to your mind first, you might tell me one thing or another. Well, here are some things that I believe. I believe in God. I believe that God made the universe. And I believe that with all of God's love and his creativity, God made you. And I believe he made you with a purpose. And I believe that God loves you. He loves you through and through, and God wants a relationship with you. You are precious, you are prized, and don't ever forget it. That's what I believe. And I believe these things because of the first four words we find in the Bible. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Now, in light of this, I wonder... I wonder if you've noticed this particular kind of shift that's occurring in our culture. It's happening right before our eyes. And I say the word, I wonder, because this shift has been so subtle that that many people have not really detected it, even though it relates directly to the one our country states we trust in, God himself. Most Americans, you may remember a day, of course, not so very long ago when after a big win, maybe at the Olympics or somewhere else, it was common for an athlete to say, well, I want to thank God for all that he's done. Or I want to thank God, my family, my teammates. And that's still happening. But if we're going to be honest, the God-o-meter has become a bit more silent over the past few years. And in God's place, a pop culture pantheism has been resounding in certain movies, commercials, and in our everyday conversations. And instead of purporting that God created the universe, this pop culture pantheism has been stating that God is the universe. And if you've been listening very carefully, you may have noticed certain statements like, the universe was good to me today, or the universe is judging you, or the universe is guiding everything. Have some of you heard this talk about the universe? Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, some of you, you're looking at me like, Phil, I don't know what you're talking about. So if you're doubting what I'm saying, we put some clips together. It wasn't very hard to find. There are many more out there just to kind of give us all an idea of what people are talking about when they're talking about the universe. Take a look. When we learn how to speak to the universe and feel our way into a new reality, we can attract what we want in an effortless way. Following is a daily gratitude script that you can listen to or read to yourself each morning and evening to create an abundant life. This is a simple and powerful process, and in doing it with consistency, you tell the universe how your life unfolds, and you can experience the magic that manifests because of that. A lot of people they often ask, how do I speak to the universe? What language do I speak? If I speak Spanish, will they actually understand what I'm saying, you know? And how to actually connect with the universe. But actually, most of those questions are not quite the correct questions because energy doesn't work that way. Universe doesn't work that way. When you understand this, you can actually say your prayers and can connect instantly with the divine to be able to get what you want in life and at the same time to be able to give them what they want from you universe is speaking but it's not saying what you think 
maybe we're a bit more enlightened now. According to our culture, the universe is very busy. In fact, atheists like Richard Dawkins have become fans of this pop culture pantheism. Dawkins even has referred to it as a sexed-up atheism. A sexed-up atheism. Why? Because a belief in a transcendent universal force is much more palatable to an atheist than a personal God who created everything and a God who loves you. After all, a pop culture pantheism actually reduces God or does away with God altogether, all while retaining some kind of purpose behind it all. C.S. Lewis wrote about this years ago. He said, the life force being only a blind force with no morals and no mind, will never interfere with you like that troublesome God we learned about when we we were children. The life force is a sort of tame God. You can switch it on when you want, but it will not bother you. All the thrills of religion with none of the cost. You see, when God is the universe, I get to choose who I want to be, what I want to do, where I want to go. It's really all about me, like you heard him say. You can speak to the universe and get what you want, right? And it sounds incredibly convenient. So in light of all this convenience, and Americans, we love our convenience, why would I say I believe in God? Well, today I want to talk about three reasons. There's many more, I don't have time, but just three. First of all, I believe in God because he best answers the question, who am I? Who am I? You see, deep down inside each one of us is a longing for a sense of purpose in this life. And whenever we lack a sense of purpose, well, depression sets in and we wonder if life really matters. In fact, we know and studies show that over this past year, depression is on the rise significantly. And so let's start with what atheistic science tells us about our sense of purpose. Well, one philosopher, author, and professor of history in Israel He sums it up pretty clearly, and you might be gracious to call him an agnostic. Uh, He says, as far as we can tell from a purely scientific viewpoint, human life has absolutely no meaning. Humans are the outcome of a blind evolutionary processes that operate without goal or purpose. Our actions are not part of some divine cosmic plan. Hence, any meaning that people ascribe to their lives is just a delusion. So if we were to believe that statement, we'd just all pack our bags and go home. And what would be the point? After all, our lives have no goal, no purpose. And if we think our lives do, well, then we're living in a delusion. But that's not all. Oh, not by a long shot. Atheist science also tells us this, that homo sapiens, human beings, have no natural rights. Just as spiders, hyenas, and chimpanzees have no natural rights. What do you think about that statement? I mean, if you believe that racism is wrong, that women are as valuable as men, that the rich should not oppress the poor, that physical abuse is wrong, that human trafficking is wrong, that lying and cheating are wrong, that Russia attacking Ukraine is wrong, you'd have to ask why. Because if there is no God, such claims are merely your opinions. They are not facts. After all, according to atheistic science, we have no purpose, we have no rights. And yet this statement that they're saying is not really entirely honest with something else the science world has given us, and and you might know this gift as natural selection. This is the same theory that gave us the phrase, the survival of the fittest. And this belief tells us that whoever is strongest, whoever is smartest, are the ones who have real purpose. 
They are the only ones who have the right to live and to thrive. And if that were true, then what right do you have to say that Russia overtaking Ukraine is wrong? Or Hitler exterminating the Jews was wrong? Or men who abuse women are wrong? After all, the strong overtake the weak because that is what they're designed to do. And remember, according to their belief, the strongest are the only ones who matter. Friends, God has something very different to say. Before God created humanity, he said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And I'd like to spend a lot of time talking about this, but we, we can't really. So let me get to the heart of things. When we talk about being made in God's image, what we're saying is that humanity is God's highest creation. And that we are not equal to the animals. In fact, just for saying that he would create us in his image, God shared the outcome. He said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So why? That they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So being made in God's image, that means humanity is God's highest creation. We are not equal to the animals, but all human beings are equal in the eyes of God. Sometimes we forget that, and Lord forgive us. But all human beings are equal in the eyes of God. That's why the New Testament tells us there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. So when our Constitution states, which it does, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, well, such a statement is rooted in what God says about us, not what atheistic science says about us, and most certainly not what pop culture pantheism says about us. In fact, some of them will actually admit this, even as they try to undermine, though, the Christian faith. Read these words carefully. The idea of equality is inextricably intertwined with the idea of creation. So I'll stop there. The idea that we're all equal is tied directly with the idea of God creating everything. That's what he's saying. If we do not believe in the Christian myths about God, which the author doesn't, creation and souls, what does it mean that all people are equal? So it's saying, God didn't create anything and we are not equal. Friends, it's a free country. You're free to believe whatever you want to believe. But as for me, I believe in God. Because he best answers the question, who am I? Who are you? I'll tell you, you are not some random outcome of an evolutionary process. You are not void of purpose and meaning in life. No, you are the handiwork of God. Don't ever forget it. He loves you. You are cherished. Walk in that. That's not all I believe in God because he best answers the question, how did I get here? How did I get here? And this takes us again to the very first words we find in the Bible that make reference to him. In the beginning, God did what? He created the heavens and the earth. And friends, within this one statement, it packs quite a punch because it says that there was a beginning to the universe, number one, that God existed before that beginning and then inaugurated the beginning and that God created and designed the universe in an orderly way by the power of his will. 
Now, once again, in contrast to what I just said, both atheism and pop culture pantheism will say that there is no God and there is no designer. Even so, some will say that there is a beginning or there was a beginning to the universe. But in light of that, friends, may we always remember what most of them want us to forget. That atheism was once rooted in the notion that the universe had always existed, that it had no beginning. Why? Well, if the universe had a beginning, it supports the belief that God created everything in the beginning, and we most certainly can't have that. Well, long after there was a beginning, there was Albert Einstein. And for Einstein, a universe that always was assured a God who never was. In fact, I, Einstein was, he was like ironclad in his beliefs in this until another scientist named Edwin Hubble completely rocked everyone's world with a, with a discovery he made while peering through one of his telescopes. Here's a, a picture of it right here. What he once thought to be various clouds of light in the universe were in reality entire galaxies. In fact, by the time we get to 1929, Hubble discovered that the farther a galaxy was away, the faster it was receding. And this clarified that the universe had not always existed. Rather, the universe had a miraculous beginning and has been expanding ever since. Hubble's discovery of an expanding universe also furthered the idea of the Big Bang Theory. You've heard of the Big Bang Theory? Many people credit science with those words, the Big Bang. In reality, this theory was first proposed in the 1930s by a Belgian Roman Catholic priest. He proposed that the entire universe had begun as a single, incredibly dense, yet energetic point he referred to as a cosmic egg. But once he gave his theory in response, one atheist who heard it mocked the priest's proposal by calling it the Big Bang. It's a mocking term that we've been using ever since. And again, he mocked this theory because it sounded way too familiar to what we see in Genesis chapter 1. In fact, later, even Stephen Hawking admitted that there were therefore a number of attempts to avoid the conclusion that there had been a big bang. Why? Well, again, if there was a beginning, it helps to prove the existence of God who made everything in the beginning. And that's why various scientists over time have been crafting different theories ever since because we can't have a beginning. And yet it didn't take Einstein very long to humble himself. He immediately came out to the presses and he says, I now see the necessity of a beginning. Years later, Stephen Hawking added to the discussion by writing, and listen to his words, the expansion of the universe was one of the most important intellectual discoveries of the 20th century or of any century. It transformed the debate about whether the universe had a beginning. If galaxies are moving apart now, they must have been closer together in the past. Well, he writes about one of the most important intellectual discoveries of all time. Like it took so much work to get to this discovery when all you needed to do was open up the first chapter of the Bible. It's been there for thousands of years. This led Robert Jastrow, a well-known astronomer and agnostic now, he's an agnostic, to admit, for the scientist who has lived by his faith and the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. I love that. 
his words were paralleled by one Nobel Prize winner in physics who said, the best data we have are exactly what I would have predicted had I nothing to go on but the five books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Bible as a whole. How many have heard of HuffPost? HuffPost, right? I mean, we've seen this online. HuffPost, different articles, and, and people have different perspectives on HuffPost. Some think it's way liberal. They don't want to read anything anymore. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different perspectives for a lot of different reasons. But let's just talk about one article in HuffPost called Genesis and Science, More Aligned Than You Think. In the beginning of the article, it says, below are listed the seven days of creation day by day. And what happened according to Genesis in the Old Testament. With each day we examine how it corresponds with current scientific information. In this comparison, the seven days are not important. It is the description of what took place on each day and in what order that is relevant. So he's saying, you know what, let's take a look at each day. Let's not talk about if a day is 24 hours or a thousand years. Let's just talk about the events. Let's just talk about that, he's saying. Well, in the article, the prelude, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that's the Big Bang. That's what they call the Big Bang. Day one, God said, let there be light. In this article, referring to science, during the Big Bang, electrons cause very small packets of light, making the whole universe glow. There's light. Day two, God said, let there be firmament in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Well, according to science, this article says, and I'm just quoting right here, water-rich asteroids and protoplanets collided with prehistoric Earth, bringing water. Later, gaseous emissions from volcanoes added additional water. As the Earth cooled, water vapor began to escape and condense in the Earth's early atmosphere. Clouds formed and enormous amounts of water fell on the earth. The waters were separated, water on earth and water in the atmosphere. So day two fits with science and is, and is in the correct order. Day three, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. Science tells us that's exactly what happens next. Day three, continue. God said, let the earth put forth grass, herbs yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit. Science tells us, according to the article, that single cell plants definitely happened next. They weren't as advanced as you might see perhaps in, in the text, but cell life and plant life definitely happened next. Day four, God said, let there be light in the firmament of heavens to separate the day from the night. Well, why? There was light earlier, so why the separation? Well, science has told us that with the cooling of the earth and the rise in atmospheric oxygen, the atmosphere became transparent and there was light. You could see it for the first time. Day five, God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and seas. And science says that's exactly what happened next. Day five, God said, and let the birds fly above the earth. Science says at this point, definitely winged creatures flying all over the place. Not as large as our modern day bird, they would say, but certainly winged creatures. Day six, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind. Cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kind. Science tells us that's exactly what happened next. Day six, then God created man in his own image. Science tells us that without question, 
Human beings were created last. All of this and more led our key chief scientist in the United States who served under the past three presidents. He's number one. You've seen him during the pandemic from time to time. Not the one that you think I'm talking about, but the other one. Okay, his name is Francis Collins. I had the chance to meet him before the pandemic actually began. I was out east and uh, shook his hand and talked with him and learned from him. And he is a man, our chief scientist who was an agnostic and then due to all the proof he was seeing came to a belief in God and then through that came to a belief in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Here is him describing his process. You're not going to see his face but his process. Take a look. This is his voice. And interestingly some of the pointers to God had been in front of me all along coming from the study of nature and I hadn't really thought about them but here they were. Here's one which seems like an obvious statement, but maybe it's not so obvious. There is something instead of nothing. No reason that should be. This phrase of Wigner, the Nobel laureate in physics, caught my eye because I had been involved, of course, as a graduate student working with quantum mechanics with Schrodinger's equation. And one of the things that had appealed to me so much about mathematics and physics and chemistry was how it was that this particular kind of depiction of matter and energy works. I mean, it really works well. And a theory that is correct often turns out to be simple and beautiful. And why should that be? Why should mathematics be so unreasonably effective in describing nature? Hmm. There's the Big Bang. The fact that the universe had a beginning, as virtually all scientists are now coming to the conclusion, about 13.7 billion years ago in an unimaginable singularity where the universe smaller than a golf ball suddenly appeared and then began flying apart and has been flying apart ever since. And we can calculate that singularity by noticing just how far those galaxies are receding from us and things like the background microwave radiation, the echo of that Big Bang. And of course that presents a difficulty because our science cannot look back beyond that point. And it seems that something came out of nothing. Well, nature isn't supposed to allow that. So if nature is not able to create itself, how did the universe get here? You can't postulate that that was created by some natural force or you haven't solved the problem because then, okay, what created that natural force? So the only plausible, it seemed to me, explanation is that there must be some supernatural force that did the creating. And of course, that force would not need to be limited by space or even by time. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. So, all right, let's imagine there is a creator, let's call that creator God, who is supernatural, who's not bounded by space, not bounded by time, and is a pretty darn good mathematician. And it's starting to make some sense here. So much sense that um, when I walked into that room in Baltimore uh, before uh, COVID, he stood up to speak, and he didn't speak very long. He took out his guitar, and he led a room full of scientists and a few pastors like myself in the worship of Jesus Christ. He's a worship leader and our head scientist of the United States of America. Why do I believe in God? I believe in God because he best answers the question, who am I? I believe in God because he best answers the question, how did I get here? 
But I also believe in God for a third reason. I believe in God because he best answers the question, how does everything hold together? And there's a lot to hold this whole thing together. And scripture clearly states that he is before all things. So God existed. Jesus existed before we, anything in the earth and the universe. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Our modern world refers to this as the fine tuning of the universe. I'd like you to think about some things. And I'm not overstating anything here. If the size of the earth were any bigger or smaller, life here could not exist. If our earth were any smaller, our magnetic field would be weaker and what we call solar wind would quickly strip our atmosphere down to almost nothing where we would be a lifeless planet like Mars. If our earth were any larger, it would have a more powerful gravity so that water or methane or carbon dioxide would escape our atmosphere, which would be so thick then we couldn't even breathe. And let's consider the moon. If our moon were any smaller, the earth would not be stable and it would wobble off its axis. Our moon also has enough gravity to cause our ocean's tides, which is crucial to our ecosystems of our coasts. So the moon is crucial to life here. And then we have our sun. If we were any closer to the sun, most of the water on earth would be completely evaporated. And if we were slightly farther away, all the water would be frozen, making life here impossible. Science says, in fact, if the overall density of the universe were changed, and I'm quoting here, by even 0.0000001%, no stars or galaxies could have been formed. And if the rate of expansion one second after the Big Bang had been smaller by even one part in a hundred thousand million million, the universe would have collapsed before it reached its present size. If anything was off, just a tiny bit of a fraction, we would not be sitting here right now. Based on this research, one English physicist stated it this way, scientists are slowly waking up to an inconvenient truth. The universe looks suspiciously like a fix. The issue concerns the very laws of nature themselves. He said, there is something much larger holding this whole thing together. And as I said earlier, it's a free country. You can believe whatever you want to believe. But my hope is that you're going to at least, again, consider why I believe in God and why these beliefs might impact you. Because I, like I said earlier, I believe in God. I believe he made this universe, and I believe out of his incredible love, out of his incredible creativity, God made you, and he loves you through and through, and God wants a relationship with you. Do you have a relationship with him? Have you responded to him? Do you believe in him? And have you been forgiven by him? Because he created you. He loves you. He's calling you. And he's waiting for you to respond. And if you'd like to begin that relationship today, after the service is over, we have prayer partners down front. And while people are walking out, please come down. They'd love to pray and talk with you so you can begin that relationship with God, the very one who made you, the very one who loves you. Because I believe God existed before the universe, designed and created the universe, and then created us in his image so we can glorify him in his world. Will you pray with me? Dear Father, you are larger than we can possibly imagine, much grander. 
And Lord, if we're honest here today, I think life goes by so quickly. We, we don't really all the time stand in awe of you like we should. Oh, you're there on the shelf. You're there in the back of our minds, perhaps, but you're not central. You, the very one who made every single person watching online and watching here in this place right now. God, we are amazed. We thank you. We declare our love for you and our worship for you. For it's in you and only you we believe.
brothers, sisters in Christ. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him, to God, be glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Go out and glorify him this week. We'll see you next weekend. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.